Welcome back, Culture by Design listeners. It's Freddie, one of the producers of the podcast. And today is part four on our five-part series on what's causing demand for psychological safety. Today's episode will focus on the impact of psychological safety on engagement and retention. Tim and Junior will share a lot of stats and data in this episode on a topic that we could probably do an entire series on. I'm confident you'll enjoy it. Speaking of impactful data, you can now go to leaderfactor.com and request a free pilot survey to measure your team's level of psychological safety across the four stages. We'll include links to that survey and all of the data in this episode's show notes at leaderfactor.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening and enjoy today's episode on the impact of psychological safety on engagement and retention. Welcome back, everyone, to Culture by Design. I'm here with Dr. Tim Clark, and today we're going to be discussing engagement and retention as a driver for psychological safety. Tim, how are you? How are things? Doing great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We're recording this in the new year. It may be a few weeks until you all hear it, but it's a relatively new year for us. And Happy New Year to all of you. And welcome back to the podcast, New Year. We're about 40 some odd episodes in, and uh, it's been an interesting journey so far. 40 something? That's hard to believe. We're a year, we're a year in. Mm-hmm. And we've enjoyed it very much, at least from my part. I've enjoyed talking with you, Tim, and these have been fascinating episodes. We've learned a tremendous amount, and we're getting really good response from the listeners. So thank you to all of you who listen and engage. And if you have feedback for us as we enter this new year, questions, topics that you'd like us to treat, uh, please let us know. Yeah. We're always open to that feedback. Yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Today's episode is part of our series, What's Driving the Demand for Psychological Safety. That episode has done incredibly well so far. So thank you to all of you who have listened to it and shared it. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, we would highly encourage it. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, we're, we're talking about the drivers for demand in psychological safety. Today's just one of those drivers. We've talked about innovation. We've talked about inclusion. Uh, and we've got several more on the docket. So stay tuned for those episodes that are forthcoming. So to set the stage today, we're going to talk about the fact that organizations are made up of people. And that may seem obvious. That may seem simplistic. But it's important for today's topic. Those people that make up the organizations have skills that we need to build things to execute and to innovate for the future. We want good people. We want talented people. We want them to join us and we want them to stay. And when we can and when they do join us and they do stay and they're actively engaged, it's a wonderful thing. But often they leave and before they leave, they disengage. And that's problematic. It's problematic and costly. It's costly in dollars and it's costly in a whole bunch of intangibles like cultural impact. And this cost, this problem is driving demand for psychological safety and is one of the primary drivers that we as an organization have seen over the last couple of years. And why is that? That's what we're going to be discussing today. And we're going to take you along for the journey as we unpack it, psychological safety as it relates to employee engagement and retention. Hey, Junior, let's go back though to what you said. You said you made a very good point, which is people normally, often they'll disengage before they leave an organization. It's true. The other thing that's true is that they disengage and stay true in the organization. Both of those things are harmful. Both of those things are costly. And so that's why this, topic matters so much. Just want to point that out. I appreciate that because that can be even more dangerous. And sometimes that's more sinister is a massively disengaged workforce. What is engagement? Let's define some terms before we jump in. The concept of employee engagement, as uh, you've mentioned here, Tim, relates to an employee's overall commitment, connection, and contribution to an organization. Why do you use those three words? Those are the three C's of engagement and employee engagement is, let's go back in history. Before we measured employee engagement and before we paid attention to employee engagement, do you know what we were measuring and paying attention to? Employee satisfaction. But that was not the right measure because what we learned is that in some cases, 
employees could be very satisfied, but not productive. So do you know what we call that? We call that happy, dead weight. Employees who are satisfied, but they're not productive. So that's not the right measure. So we took, we went, we graduated from employee satisfaction to a new metric that we call employee engagement. It's a composite variable. It includes, as you just said, Junior, commitment. So commitment is part of it. Connection is part of it. And finally, contribution is part of it. The three C's. So it combines these three things into this variable that we call employee engagement. It's a much better measure than employee satisfaction was in historically when we used to focus on that. So why does employee engagement matter? We probably don't need to make this case to our listenership. It may be preaching to the choir, but the business case for engagement is beyond debate. We've been looking at this closely for years and years now. And the empirical studies very much link employee engagement to productivity and retention as far as the employees are concerned. But it doesn't have just, it doesn't have everything to do with employees. It has to do with customers and shareholders as well. And so that's one of the consequences that's important to call out as we enter this episode is the relationship between employees and things that are downstream, not least of which is customers and shareholders. So it has a ripple effect all the way from the top. If there's engagement, that ripples down in a positive way. If there's disengagement, that ripples down in negative ways. So employee engagement affects customers and their satisfaction, their propensity to refer business. It affects the business and shareholder returns. So engagement as the upstream variable affects performance. And then the way that it lands, the impact that it has varies across the audience that we're talking about. But for employees, they're going to disengage and leave. For customers, they're going to have a poor customer experience because of the disengagement of the employee. And the shareholders are not going to get the return that they want. The bottom line will be impacted as well. That's right. So Gartner Research, here's an interesting quote for you. High employee engagement correlates with higher average revenue growth, net profit margin, customer satisfaction, and earnings per share. So there you go. In a nutshell, that's what the research is telling us. That's why it gets everybody's attention, right, Junior? Well, and the, the amount of money that organizations spend on engagement is astounding. I should go grab some numbers, but it's astounding. So if we're spending all of this money and this time and our attention on employee engagement, how well are we doing? Let's talk about some of the recent numbers. 32% of the workforce is considered engaged. 52% considered just showing up and 16% are actively disengaged. Now, these numbers change a little bit every year as we get new data, but they tend to hover around here. The last few years, these numbers have stayed relatively constant. And I think that that's important to double click on. So just let those numbers sink in for a second. 52% of the workforce just showing up and 16% actively disengaged. So that's 68% of our workforce, two-thirds. Junior, just think of um, normal bell-shaped distribution curve and then think about that 52% just showing up. So the 52% is your big kind of frozen middle, right? That's the bell. That's the top. And then the 16% actively disengaged, those are those that are on the, uh, the far end of that frozen middle. That's a massive percentage of the total population. That's huge. Of employees. It's incredible. And those numbers feed into the attrition numbers and all of the turnover that we're going to be talking about next. So that's engagement. And now we're going to move into retention for a second. Now, it's one thing to attract these employees. It's another to try and keep them engaged. If you don't do that successfully, many will leave the organization. And we'll talk about just how many and how quickly they do when they enter a new organization uh, that they're repelled from for a variety of reasons. But in the last year, somewhere in the ballpark of 50 million employees have quit just in the US in the last year. And the data just came in from November of 2022. And guess what the quitting numbers were? 
So voluntary resignations. Think about a number in your head. You may have seen some of these metrics in the past. Whatever your guess is, it's probably low. The actual number was 5.9 million in November of 2022, domestic to United States. So extrapolate that number out and we're at 72 million annually. For reference, there are 265 million workers in the workforce domestically. 72 million of those are supposed to quit in the next year. That's incredible. It's incredible. And where are these data coming from, Junior? The BLS. Okay. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Bureau of Labor Statistics. So these are federally calculated uh, numbers. Okay. So best source of data that, that you can get. We've never seen these numbers ever. And we'll talk about some more of those numbers a little bit later. We're waiting on December 2022. Those numbers should come out in the next few weeks. And then we'll be able to look at 2022, the entire 12-month period. The whole year. And those numbers are going to be really interesting because a lot of the comparisons are done annually. But certainly, 2022 is the most quits that we've had. Now, quits is just a category that informs some of the turnover numbers. You also have layoffs, you have retirements, and a few other things. But 5.9 million just in quits. November 2022. So is this a problem? That's one of the questions. Again, may seem fairly obvious, but yes, this is a problem. Uh, Turnover is very expensive. So let me give you some numbers to help orient us as to how expensive this is. In the US, it takes an average of 42 days to fill an open position. That's a long time. Six to eight months to reach full productivity. So you're not even up to parity for six to eight months after the month and a half you spent filling that position. So you're, you know, ballpark nine months. Nine months. And getting that person up to speed. And depending on, and maybe we're just talking averages, but if you talk about the average knowledge worker, that may be even more depending on the specificity and expertise in the role. Well, hang on, Junior. Let's also point out that some positions you're not able to fill that quickly. So many positions, they remain open. So we have to think about the long-term impact and nine months is a long, that's average. So think about what's on the other side of average. Think about how long that can become. Amazing. As many of you may be thinking, there can be substantial differences between the person that turned over and the person that you're able to find to fill that position based on contextual understanding, based on temperament, cultural fit, a whole bunch of other variables that are really difficult to account for. Experience, knowledge, skill, yeah. And so it's not as easy as just a one-to-one trade. Someone leaves the organization, you go find someone else to fill it. It's more nuanced than that. So you've got your training and your onboarding costs as well once that new employee is hired. So here's Gallup's estimate that the cost of replacing an employee is one half to two times the employee's annual salary. One half to two times their salary. That's amazing. I don't think people really take time to internalize that. No. And let it distill. Yeah. A half to two times annual salary to replace someone. Think about that. So we're spending billions billions and billions and billions of dollars on turnover. Let's think about this math for a second, do some examples, because I think this helps drive it home. So the overall turnover rate in the US hovers around 25% based on the Bureau of Labor Statistics, so about 25%, and a large portion of that's voluntary. Now, if the cost ranges from half to two times the salary, and half is pretty conservative in my estimation, If you take a thousand person organization that provides an average for easy numbers, let's call it 50K, a $50,000 salary could have turnover and replacement costs based on those numbers between 6.25 million to $25 million a year. So you could be upwards of 25 million per year just in turnover costs for an organization with a a thousand people. Well, and Junior, I think if anything, your assumption is on the conservative side with an average salary of 50K plus. What about benefits? What about healthcare? What about the entire package, right? Absolutely. So I think you're on the conservative end. Yeah, you double it. You say 100 grand all in, you're 12 and a half million to 50 million. Yeah. For a thousand person organization. 
it's an unbelievable um, number. It's unbelievable. And then there are many of these costs that don't register in the P&L. So what other costs are you bearing? You have what you might call winners leaving the organization, innovators, problem solvers, cultural advocates, morale boosters, these types of people that have effects farther and deeper than just the bottom line. Retention is a big deal. Junior, let's acknowledge that there's a certain amount of turnover that you want in an organization yep. that keeps it vibrant, that keeps it strong, that it needs to renew itself. And there are people that do need to go. They're not productive. They're not a good fit. They're not contributing. They're not happy. They're not engaged. But this goes way beyond that. We're talking about regrettable losses. All these categories that you just named for people that walk out the door, the winners, the innovators, the other categories that you just mentioned, these are regrettable losses. So the question that you may want to ask yourselves for you listeners is, what regrettable losses are we sustaining right now? Who's walking out the door that we don't want to walk out the door? That's what we're talking about. That's why this is important, right? Exactly. And we're dealing with tremendous amounts of turnover, tremendous amounts of regrettable loss. And this is where it really hits home for me. So we have a tremendous amount of turnover. And then the employees that we do keep, that we manage to keep, 52% of them are just showing up and 16% are actively disengaged. So 25% total turnover. And then those engagement numbers paint a sorry picture. Yeah. That's 68%. So that's a little bit more than two out of three that are left after your 25% turnover on average every year, right? So there's the churn, the, the churn of 25%. Let's just say that again so that it sinks in. The folks that are left, 68% of them are not actively engaged. That's right. That's more than two out of three. So there's the snapshot, right, Junior? And if you lay on the cultural variable, this is where it becomes incredibly interesting. So let's say that you have a toxic culture and you look at the three categories that you talk about, actively disengaged, actively engaged, and just showing up. Which ones are going to turn over? The most talented are the ones who are least going to put up with a toxic culture because they have options. Those that are just showing up, you know, they may be indifferent. Those who are actively disengaged, it may not matter to them. Not always true but you're going to experience inevitably a high turnover in that category of people that you would like to keep. That regrettable loss becomes even more impactful. So that's where you bleed the most. That's where you bleed. That's right. So I want to share some more numbers. So for those of you who love to hear the data, you'll probably like some of these numbers. You may not like them, but they'll drive the point home. So 5.9 million people quit their jobs in November 2022. Let's look at this historically. That's up from 4.5 million in November of 21. So that's one year later, the voluntary quits have gone up 1.4 million, which is an increase of about 25% for easy math. So Junior, hang on a second. We got to look at this. Let's think about this. Remember the great resignation during the pandemic? The numbers have gone up. So that wasn't j just an isolated phenomenon that we have that we have gotten past. That's right. We just got to put this in perspective because we talked a lot about it as if it's in the rearview mirror, as if that was a historical fact. No, we're going forward with voluntary quits at an order of magnitude that we have never seen before. That's right. That's what we're talking about. And another comparison that's even more stark is the 4.5 million from November of 2021 was a record-breaking month all the way back to the year 2000. So 2021, we broke the record that had been the record for 21 years. And one year later, we break the record again by 25%. So this is truly unprecedented. And again, this comes directly from BLS.gov. So if you wanna go double check the numbers, I would encourage you to do that. It's very important to look at these things directly. So let's add some more numbers. Sherm says over 40% of employees say that they're actively seeking for a new job or shortly plan to do so. 40%. Right now. EY says millennials are more than twice as likely to quit 
as baby boomers. Slack came out with a report from their future forum saying, here's an interesting one. We're going to start to get into culture and site safety. People of color are higher turnover risks. 66% of Hispanics, 64% of black employees, and 63% of Asian employees indicate interest in finding new opportunities compared to the white population in the 50%. So that's an interesting piece of data for you. Elevated risk of attrition. Exactly. Yeah. A couple episodes back, we talked about a few of the statistics regarding why people quit from Work Institute's retention report. And this is 2020 data. It's pretty pretty recent. I won't go through all of these, but 10.5%, I'll I'll touch on the relevant ones, 10.5% are quitting for work-life balance-related issues. 7.8% are quitting for manager-related issues. 7.7% are quitting because of environment, physical, and cultural surroundings. You look at those that point directly to culture and psychological safety, and there's 20%, 25% of the motivation for people quitting. Right there. It's amazing. Yeah. And I think that it's important to understand that, and we called this out in the prior episode, compensation and benefits ranked as the least important consideration for voluntary termination. The least. The least. You talk about measuring employee satisfaction. A lot of those things that we were measuring, including compensation and benefits, we now often call hygiene factors. It's par for the course. People are not quitting for those reasons, which is so ironic to me because that's the very variable that we were measuring for so many years and thought, well, naturally, compensation and benefits. If people are leaving, it's probably because of that. Turns out it's the least important variable of the ones measured. So above that, we've got environment, manager, job-related, right? Do we enjoy and have ownership in manageable work? There are all of these other variables that are more important than compensation and benefits. So here's another uh, wrinkle that I want to throw in this. Remote work. We just got some interesting data. So between February and October 2022, so just a few months ago, remote job listings fell from 20 to 14% of all listings on LinkedIn. So now there's this interesting dynamic of employers wanting people to come back into the office. Now, here's another stat to add to that from Monster. So Monster sent out a survey in September. They found that 40% of workers would quit that are remote, so they surveyed remote workers, 40% of them said they would quit if they had to come into the office even one day a week. Even one day? Even one day a week. I'm surprised by that. No joke. Now, let me add to that something from Gallup. So according to a recent Gallup poll, 34% of remote capable workers want to work from home permanently, and just 3% want to work in the office full-time. Remote capable. So if you're remote capable, you're saying, there are 3% of you want to work in the office full-time. And yet the job listings for virtual work dropped 6% over that about six-month period. Collision course, is that what you're saying, Junior? Collision course is pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting. It really is. Just a couple other numbers that I want to toss in here to spice it up. Gallup also said teams with low engagement levels see employee turnover rates 18 to 43% higher than teams with high engagement levels. If you start to add all of these stats together, you put them all on a paper, this is important to do, in in my opinion. You look at all of these things, you start to look at some of the connections, and you start to see just how small the percentage is of employees at your organization, statistically, mind you, that are actively engaged that are likely to be there for a long time, who are enjoying their work, they're productive, they give discretionary effort, they are happy with the work, let's say the scheduling and the location accommodations. Mm -hmm. So you start to put all of these things layered on top of each other and you can see the landscape. And it's very, very interesting. Well, respond to that real quick, Tim. What do you think about that? Well, it makes me think of a study that we did a while back where we asked people about their concept of career 
and we ask them to capture their concept of career in a word, right? So if you could capture what your career means to you in one word, what would it be? And some people said, I guess they gave traditional answers that we might expect. Well, it's my job. It's my, some people were a little bit more aspirational and they said, it's my calling. It's my cause. And then we got to some more interesting conceptions of career and a different perception of the employer-employee compact. And people said, it's a gig. It's a run. Here was an interesting one. Someone said, I'm a water bug. I skate from opportunity to opportunity. A water bug? A water bug. They said, the best word that I can can find to capture what I think my career is, water bug. I thought, wow, that's fascinating. Okay. So why is this important? Because of the way that people conceive of their work life, the way that they think about their career. There are different conceptions. So I think that plays into this. I think it's fascinating. So then what are we faced with? We're faced with a prospect of how do we retain and engage our people, particularly our best people? This is becoming a bigger challenge. It is. And for those listening, if you think we're painting a bleak picture, don't worry. The future is not bleak. It is bright. So we're going to get to there. (laughs) But here's another stat for you. This one's one of the most important I think we're going to share. Around 40% of employee turnover occurs within the employee's first year with the organization. 40% of turnover. Punctuation mark there, Junior. That's right. Underline yellow neon flashing lights, 40% within the first year. This is from the Work Institute report. 40% in the first year. So let's take that 5.9 million from November. You take... 40% of that number, it was within the first 12 months of those employees' tenure. So what does that tell us? As we were talking about this, Tim, you mentioned the distinction between two things, attraction and, and repulsion. Tell us about that. Right. So think about this. When employees leave an organization, I want you to think about two different kinds of motivation. When they leave, it may be that the primary motivation is attraction, meaning that they are pulled to something better. So there's an attraction force. They're moving towards something better. And that's the primary force at work on them that convinces them that they need to leave. The other force is not motivation towards something better. It's motivation away from something that you don't like. Motivation away from something, we could call it repulsion. So we have attraction, motivation towards something. We have repulsion, motivation away from something. So if 40% of employee turnover occurs within the employee's first year, well, a big part of that, a big chunk of that 40% is attributable to motivation away from something that they don't like. So there's something in the organization that is repelling them and is pushing them out during that first year. And this is happening to millions of people. And so this is an all important clue about what's happening and about the opportunity that we have to do better. As you were talking, it it made me think about psychological safety and its definition and the nature of the first year of an employee's tenure. So the definition of psychological safety, we define it as a culture of rewarded vulnerability. Now, when's the most vulnerable state of the employee during their tenure? Year one. Year one. Those first 12 months. Yeah. And so why is that? Well, you're in a new place. There's new material to learn. There are new people to learn. Yeah. You got to learn everything around you. You've got to learn the job itself, the technical requirements. 
You've got to get up to speed in terms of competence and skill set. You've got to understand the culture that surrounds you, both institutionally and at the level of your team. You've got new peers. You may have new direct reports. You may have a new boss. And what do you need to do in order to get up to speed? You need to make mistakes. You need to ask questions. And so tremendous amount of vulnerable activity happening in those first 12 months. So what happens if that vulnerability is punished? Repulsion. I'm out of here. Yeah. I think we can look at this within the framework of the four stages of psychological safety, because during the first year, as a new employee, you're going to make a series of determinations and you're at least going to make four determinations. Now, you may not be going about it systematically or methodically as an individual, but you're going to be doing this nevertheless. Number one, am I connecting here? Can I be myself here? You're going to make a determination about that. Number two, am I learning here? Am I growing here? Am I getting better here? That's determination number two. Determination number three is, am I contributing here? Am I doing meaningful work here? Do I have an appropriate level of autonomy here? That's number three. And the last determination that you're going to make during that first year is, can I safely and confidently challenge the status quo here? Can I help make things better? Can I take aim at the way things are done? Can I, is dissent productive, constructive dissent? Is that allowed? Can I do that? That's the last determination that you're going to make during that first year. Now, that's an informal process. And we do it as we, we work in the organization with our colleagues every day. But little by little, we come to conclusions. In each of those four areas, can I be myself? Can I learn and grow? Can I contribute meaningfully? Can I challenge the status quo? If you can do those things, there's a high chance you're going to stay in that organization because that organization is a place where you can meet your deeply held human needs. You can satisfy those needs. If you can't, there's a big likelihood that you're going to bounce you're not going to stick around, right? I think about that. And I think about the fact that the four stages encompass every aspect of your professional experience. So there's nothing that falls, as far as I can tell, outside the purview of those four stages. So if something's not satisfactory in your experience, it has to do with one of those four stages, inclusion, learning, contribution, and challenging or improvement. And so your acts of vulnerability inside those four stages, it would seem, have to be punished in some way or another for you to leave during that first 12-month period. And so we'll get to this a little bit more, but imagine a world in which those four stages are there in high measure and you have psychological safety across those four and your vulnerability is rewarded as it falls into each of those four categories. The likelihood that you leave in that first 12-month period or the likelihood that you leave at all goes significantly down. That's right. The silver lining to all of this is the fact that these resignations are voluntary. And so what does voluntary mean? It means that they can voluntarily choose to stay and that it's based on the situation that they're a part of. And so if you can change those conditions, you can change the environment then you can change that person's volition to leave into volition to stay. So a few more numbers that I think are fascinating when it comes to turnover. 52% of voluntarily exiting employees say their manager or organization could have done something to prevent them from leaving their job. Junior, that's not even a clue that we need to uncover. Yeah, this is not mysterious. No, <laughs> this is... They're telling, they're telling us, you could have kept me. Yeah. 52% are saying, ah, I, 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 I would have stayed. That's right. There you go. Now, here's another one. 51% say that in the three months before they left, neither their manager nor any other leader spoke with them about their job satisfaction or future with the organization. More than half 
So the employees, and by the way, where do we gather this information in the exit interviews when it's too late? It's too late. And so we have this massive population telling us, hey, you could have kept me, right? But too little, too late. I'm out the door already. But just so you know, you could have kept me. And also, by the way, in the last quarter, no one talked to me about how I'm doing at work. No one talked to me about my prospects inside of the organization, what the path could look like for me. And I'm filling in some of the blanks here, but you know, no one asked me about how I'm doing personally. No one asked me about you know, how I could continue to develop my skill set, become more valuable. No one asked me X, Y, and Z. But they're saying you could have kept me and you didn't ask, right? And so now we're waving goodbye and we're shaking our heads and we're saying, ah, another regrettable loss. Yeah. That's what's happening. So those are the 52% of voluntarily exiting employees. This is for the different one from Work Institute. They think that around 75% of employees who quit could have been retained. Wow. That's even an, an additional portion that aren't telling us that they could have been retained, but that yeah, we think you could have. You may not tell us, right? Three out of four. Three out of four. Yeah. And as we mentioned in the beginning, we don't want to retain all employees and there's a healthy amount of turnover. You don't want your turnover to be zero, but that's a big number. It's a huge number. And here's another, not an easy win, but something that people are pointing to that's worth noting. This is from Glassdoor. 67% of job seekers say that inclusion and diversity are important considerations when deciding where to work. Just think about that stat for a second. 67% say that that's important. So what happens if you're not doing anything as an organization in the realm of inclusion and diversity? Guess what? 67% of your applicants can't check that box when it comes to you as an organization. And they're saying that it's important to them. It's a driver. Yeah. It's one of the decision criteria that 67% most people use now in making that decision. Yeah, two thirds. Yeah. It's amazing. So here's another one, Sherm. 90% of employees who believe their company's culture is poor, so now we're, we're getting into culture, we're getting into psychological safety, who believe their company's culture is poor have considered quitting compared with 32% of employees who believe the company's culture is good. Yeah, that's one we've got to internalize, Junior. We've got to let that settle upon us. <laughs> Look at the swing. 60% different. 60% swing. It's unbelievable. Let's just say that again. 90% of employees who believe their company culture is poor have thought about leaving. 90%. If your culture is great, if it's strong, if it's vibrant, if it's inclusive, only 32% have considered walking out the door. And who decides whether the culture is good, the organization or the employees? <laughs> Who's the boss? Right? Who's the boss here? Not the organization. Uh, it doesn't matter what the organization thinks to some extent. No. The people, they're saying, oh, culture is poor. You know, I might bounce. They get the last word. Compared with 32%. So 60% fewer people consider quitting if the company's culture is good in their minds. That's right. And what is the heart of culture? Psychological safety. Psychological safety is the heart of culture because it dictates the conditions and the environment. So what would happen to all of these statistics if psychological safety were high? Which variables that we've talked about today would we influence? I would venture to say with not much skepticism at all, on the contrary, quite a bit of confidence that we would affect every single one of the variables that we've talked about today in a positive way. But why is that, Junior? And that hopefully this is becoming very clear to listeners. So we started by saying that the increasing, even exploding demand for psychological safety is driven in part by employee engagement, the desire for employee engagement, and the desire for retention. Well, where does psychological safety come in? It's upstream. So can we talk about that a little bit, Junior? Absolutely. So, and it's important to note that this isn't our view of the world per se. This is what 
our prospects and clients are telling us. They're coming to the front door saying, we want psychological safety to solve this problem. And so these institutions are coming to this conclusion themselves before we even have a chance to talk to them because they're seeing the links. Now, here's a big swing that I want to point out in the last several years. You mentioned the move from employee satisfaction to employee engagement. Now, I'm going to look into my crystal ball and tell you that we're going to see another move. What is it? (laughs) From employee engagement to psychological safety. Why? Look at all of the variables that affect both. Which one comes first? What's the causal chain? Is psychological safety a function of an employee's engagement? Or is that employee's psychological safety or engagement a function of psychological safety? Very, very clearly, you can see that engagement is an outcome. Engagement is a lag measure. It's not an input. It's way downstream from some of these other things that we're talking about. But Junior, we've been treating it as an input, as a lead measure, because we could see the cause and effect relationship between engagement, employee engagement, and various outcomes, right? But now we're seeing things even more clearly, and the research is showing us that, oh, you, we've got to go upstream again. Take another step, go upstream again, because in fact, employee engagement is an outcome as you said, of psychological safety. That's right. So where does it start? We got to keep going upstream to psychological safety. Why? Because psychological safety relates to the basic terms of engagement that we have in the organization, the basic conditions, the way we interact. And if the way we interact is dictated by a norm that says we're going to consistently model and reward vulnerability, Think of all the things that flow from that. So this, there's a whole train of consequences. So think about the first order, the second order, the third order consequences that come from psychological safety. Think about the, the set of outcomes that you talked about, Junior. You have to pay attention to that. And you have to ask yourself, wow, we better go upstream and we better focus on this. There's so much writing on this. Again, let's just go back to the statistic. If you don't have a healthy culture, 90% of the employees are thinking about walking out the door. 90%. It's staggering. Another pattern that I've observed that's been enlightening to me is that organizations will come to us with their engagement data and inevitably, we end up breaking it down to figure out what's actually going on anyway. If engagement were the lead indicator, we wouldn't be breaking it down. We would act directly on the engagement data itself. Instead, what's happening is they're coming to us with their engagement data. And for those who have added some sort of cultural component or psychological safety or environmental item They're pointing to those because those are often the lowest, some of the lowest scoring, if not the lowest. And they're saying, we've got a real problem here. And the psychological safety is affecting our overall engagement score. Exactly. So it's it's implicit in that very pattern that psychological safety is upstream. And so I think that that's very interesting. So let's talk about some of the impact that psychological safety has based on some of the variables that we've talked about. So direct supervisor, what happens? If we apply psychological safety and assume that that increases at the level of the manager, what happens? The relationship becomes better. They're creating the conditions on a daily basis for all of their people. So what happens if those conditions in aggregate improve because management is becoming more psychologically safe? It improves. It improves everything around it. Belongingness? Fixed. Stage one, inclusion safety environment-related attrition, you solve all of that because you solve for all of the cultural components that affect the environment. And guess what percentage we solve for just with environment-related attrition? 10%. 10%. There you go. You just solve 10%. Of your attrition problem right there. Of your attrition problem. And, And if you go back to just how costly the attrition is, and we talked about that example of the thousand person organization 
$100,000 salary. That was somewhere, it was $12.5 million to $50 million. So let's say that it's on the high end of that. It's two times salary and you solve for 10% of that. You just saved yourself $5 million in a year of attrition because you solved for the 10% that we're leaving because of environment-related issues. And now you solve for a few more of those and it's not outside the realm of reason that you solve for a quarter of your attrition over the course of a year and you just saved yourself 10 to $15 million in that scenario. Now, let's say you're a large multinational that's doing, let's say, $10 billion, and you've got 25,000 employees. You just ratchet up all of those numbers, and it becomes astronomical, the cost savings. And so this is one of the things that I find so interesting when I look at budget allocation, because I look at budget allocation, again, this is my crystal ball, I think a lot of the dollars are going to move away from engagement and towards psychological safety because we can actually affect it because it's a lead measure, not a lag indicator. And so as that money starts funneling in, hopefully those budgets will get bigger because if you look at ROI on that spend in the context of attrition, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. You spend a few bucks in psychological safety, you measure, right? You teach it, you improve it. You do that longitudinally, you're going to get your money back. Oh my word, 10 to 100x, who knows? But the, the ROI is so obvious there. And then, so here's another one, the diversity issue, right? We're losing the diversity in our organizations. They're turning over at a faster rate. Yeah, we just talked about the statistics there, right? Exactly. And we have hard statistics, so we have empirical data that tell us that underrepresented populations, in many cases, the probability that they're going to turn over is significantly higher. So we know that. Yeah. And do you think that that community is turning over faster because of an attraction issue or a repulsion issue? Repulsion. It has to be because you have to assume that all other things are equal, right? For the employee population, you have to assume that all other things are equal. So the differentiator the factor that's driving the higher churn, the higher turnover has to be culture. It has to be the fact that the organization is not as inclusive. It has to be that. There's no other hypothesis. There's no other theory that can explain the differences in turnover among those cohorts. Yeah. So we've covered a a lot of ground. And we're entering that point of the conversation where we could go into an entirely new series of episodes of what to do with all of this information. But the purpose of this episode is to show why engagement and retention are drivers for psychological safety. And I hope that that is clear based on all of this data, based on the logic tree, based on the causal chain it should be fairly obvious to us that what lies at the heart of this problem is a cultural issue that has to do with the way we interact and whether or not we are punishing or rewarding vulnerability. That's what this boils down to. And if we can solve for that, we solve all the problems downstream. Now, solve is a big word, but in theory, you would be solving everything downstream. But imagine if you just bumped it 20% in your favor. All of these statistics become more favorable. You save a tremendous amount of money. You have a more engaged workforce. You do everything better. Everything better. Because when do you interact with other people professionally? Well, every minute of every day. That's the whole premise of an organization is more than one person working towards a common goal. So if you lubricate that and the quality of the interaction becomes better, everything we talked about today becomes better. And so I hope that all of us listening and participating will think about that, the quality of the interaction and the psychological safety that affects all of this. Junior, I would say in conclusion, as we're wrapping up this conversation today, I would ask the listeners, in your organization, have you framed a business case for psychological safety? Do you have that? And furthermore, do you think in terms of a cultural ROI, if we invest upstream 
to increase, to elevate psychological safety, do we understand the cause and effect, the causal chain as we move towards certain outcomes? So I would just ask those questions to listeners. Are you framing the business case for psychological safety? And do you think in terms of a cultural ROI? Fantastic. Okay. There are a couple things that I want to mention as we wrap up here. Uh, the first is that we will link almost, I think, every single one of the statistics that we talked about today inside of the show notes. So we've gone ahead and compiled all of those resources for you. Go ahead and check them out. Double check us on all of those numbers, but see for yourself uh, just how stark those are. And then there are a couple other resources we may choose to put in uh, after we go through this episode. One of the ones that's top of mind for me is the stay interview guide. That was a, a really interesting metric that we looked at that in the last quarter, we haven't talked to our people and those that are leaving want that conversation. And so that's a helpful resource that we'll link for you. Okay, be sure to tune in for the subsequent episodes. We have several more talking about drivers for psychological safety. And if you missed that first episode, go ahead and give that a listen. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it and let us know what you think. Leave us a review, give us a thumbs up on whatever platform it is that you're listening to this that really helps us see where we should be spending our time, which topics we should cover and to continue pouring into this. This is something that's been incredibly valuable to us. We love the conversations and we love the feedback from the community. So thank you all for everything that you do personally and professionally to make the world a better place. And we are here to help you. It is our mission at Leader Factor to influence the world for good at scale. That's why this podcast exists so that we can reach a broader audience and help people and organizations become better. So with that, we will go ahead and sign off and we will see you next episode. Thank you, everyone. Hey, Culture by Design listeners, you made it to the end of today's episode. Thank you again for listening and for making culture something that you do by design and not by default. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please be so kind to leave us a review. It helps us reach a wider audience and accomplish our mission of influencing the world for good at scale. Today's episode show notes and other relevant resources related to today's topic can be found at leaderfactor.com forward slash resources. And with that, we'll see you next episode. Thank you.